Uh, let me pray before we get started. Father God, I'm, I'm nervous, and uh, you have given me a message, and it's not together in my head the way I want it, and quite honestly, every Sunday, it's not in my head the way I want it, and I prayed with John Smith earlier, and, and as John amazingly does, uh, he said, you know, that's incredibly good news, because that means the message that you will share will be, it'll be the Lord's message. So, Father, here we are on this Father's Day 2018. And there's a lot of things we could say, but the thing that I want to say right now is, Father, thank you for being our Father. Thank you that we have the privilege and the honor of knowing you as our Father. So, Father, I ask now that you would come and just use this uh, broken but mended vessel called Chuck Berry this morning to share your word with us. You have given me a message and a passage and points, and I pray that you would enable me by your spirit to say what needs to be said at this particular and poignant time in the history of Orangewood. Father, thank you. Holy Spirit, have your way with me. My mind, my heart, my tongue, have your way with us, your bride. Continue to purify us. Continue to sanctify us. Continue to align each of our hearts with your heart. And we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Whoa. Thank you. Last night, I had the privilege of enjoying a Father's Day, pre-Father's Day date with two of my daughters. I'm here in Orlando. I have um, my two, my eldest, my number one and my number three daughter are here. And uh, we all... Um, we went to a glorious, glorious family wedding last night. Um, it was a worship service. As I know, Jeremy and Sarah Jane would have wanted it to be. And it was. It was glorious. Um, and then we, uh, we, my daughters and I went out and we, got, we went to Soho where I got this really healthy monstrous dessert of healthy things. And uh, I enjoyed that. And then we went and saw Infinity Wars. Uh, it's, a, it's a Marvel uh, superhero movie. Um, I like those movies. And, and, and it started at, here's, here's, you're beginning to, now you're beginning to understand. I made some, maybe a poor choice. It started at, what, 9.50? Um, <laughs> anyway, it, it was over after midnight. And uh, but I love superhero movies, and I probably love them too much, and I would say that our culture probably loves them too much, but I think there's probably a really good reason. And that's because we live in a broken world, actually a kingdom that's under a curse, and there really seems to be the need for deep magic to undo what has been 
scarred, twisted, and warped. And quite honestly, there are many days in my own life when I really wish I had a superpower. Mine is talking too long. Um, So what's interesting about these movies is that I think one of the reasons why our culture really, really gets caught up and enjoys them is because they're telling our own story, if you will. And we really all really would like to have some super ability, some supernatural ability to manage uh, the stresses and the struggles and the trials of this life. Um, But I get caught up in the story and I get caught up in the good versus evil and I get, I get, you know, I have ADHD anyway. So boy, you watch that movie, a lot of these movies and they're fast-paced and they're moving from one thing to the next and Infinity Wars is bringing in like, you know, two or three Marvel universes into the multiverse. Uh, the, the, the Marvel multiverse is happening in this movie and, and it's crazy. But there's a part of me that connects with the story. And in most of the stories, they, they catch you because you get drawn into characters and you get to, drawn into relationships and you get drawn in to the plight of the storyline, and you long to see victory, and you long to see the bad guys get their due, and the good guys, even though they're bloody, and they've all had near-death experiences, some of them have died and come back to life. Interesting how that creeps into uh, our superhero movies, Death and Resurrection. Anyway... There's a pattern I see in these movies. I don't know if you see it. I saw it again in Infinity War, but eventually, as these stories play out, humans and even alien superheroes keep coming to the end of their proverbial rope and there is a need for a new hero. Isn't that true? Isn't that kind of the crazy thing about superhero, superhero movies, you know. So we've grown up with comic strips and Superman and Batman and, and now there's Ant-Man and, and I mean we keep creating new superheroes with more bizarre abilities but albeit necessary to overcome some evil in life. And even at the end of Infinity War, Infin, interesting name, Infinity Wars, the very end of the movie, I'm sorry, I'm going to be a little bit of a spoiler, but at the very end of the movie, what is there? There's the promise of yet again a new hero. Why do we keep needing new heroes? So then we turn to reality, which is really hard to do after you've been in a movie theater for an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes on big screen, you know, just taking it in and all this action and superhero stuff going on. And then you have to, you know, turn back to reality and go, I forgot where my car is parked. You know, it's like, you know, I really would like some, I don't, you know, I bought a tile because I'm afraid I'm going to lose my keys. You know, I mean, there's my superpower. You know, you know, 
I'm not stark, but I am taking advantage of tech. So we live in reality, and what is it? This book tells us that history is his story. It's his story. And there really is one singular reality. And there is an author of his story. And he's God. And he is the one that sits on the throne of the cosmos. In absolute control. And our kingdom is in a plight. We are in a plight. We're in a fix. And our story has good and evil. It has a kingdom under a curse. It has a story where very common people become royalty through adoption. And it has the promise of a coming peace, a kingdom renewal, a breaking of the curse. It has heroes, and it even has an ultimate hero. And that hero does not need to be replaced and will never need to be replaced because he's real. And he is the remedy of all that is broken inside my heart, yours, and the world that we live in. And there is a plan of redemption and it is unfolding. Even today, it is unfolding. Because of supernatural power? Yes. Yes. Because of supernatural power. But nothing I will ever muster in and of myself. We do need a champion in this very real, messy, and broken life. We have royally mucked it up. But God has initiated his plan of redemption, and the key to that plan was God sending his son. Last week, you saw a ladder. You remember that. This is a continuation of that message. You saw a ladder and that God has come down and he has come down in the person of the second person of the Trinity in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came and he not only did everything necessary that we can't do in order to save ourselves, but he also came to emulate a lifestyle that he then commands all of his followers to live out. And it is our piece of the salvific puzzle. It's our role. It's our function in the plan of redemption as Christ followers. And he modeled it and emulated it, especially during the last week of his life through the passion. And God came down in the form of a man. And then that man kept humbling himself and lowering, getting lower and lower and lower And unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it will not bear fruit. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And in that same discourse, Jesus says, if you're going to serve me, you've got to follow me. So here's the question. 
Theologically, we know Jesus was no mere man. In fact, we learn from Scripture that he's unique, fully God, fully man. I, 100 plus 100 equals 200 in my math. But in God's math, these two natures are together in the person of Jesus Christ. And so here's the question. Jesus, if you're calling me to follow you and live a life like you lived, it's not really fair. We're comparing apples to oranges because you're supernatural. And because you're God, you can do stuff I could never do. You can endure a cross. You can humiliate yourself over and over and over and seemingly be okay with it. You can find your security not from what other people think, but from a supernatural source. You're God. You're God in skin. And you say, follow me, and yet you're God. And one writer that I read this week, it was great, he said, what's the point in living my life and following Clark Kent if Clark Kent lives his life using Superman's abilities? And we all know, Clark Kent, I mean, he put on some glasses and a suit coat, but he was Superman underneath. All he had to do was go like this, and then you knew he was. And it was Superman walking around in a disguise. And so, is that Jesus? Are you tempted to think that sometimes, I just can't, this is just too hard, God. Where do you get the power? Where did Jesus get the power? And that's where we're going. That's where we're going. Turn to John 5. It's in your bulletin, but I'm going to read a couple, couple extra verses. I'm going to start at verse 17, John 5, and we're going to see where Jesus gets his power. Because to the degree that Jesus drew on powers that are not available to me, that means I don't really have to follow him because I can't, because he's God and I'm not. So when he says, follow me, what's he talking about? John 5, verse 17. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. Context, he had just healed somebody on the Sabbath and the religious leaders were really upset that he was not only breaking Sabbath rules, but then he says this, my father is working until now and I am working. Whoa, who's he talking about? He's talking about Yahweh. And he just called Yahweh my father. And you can understand why Men looking at a man who just says, my father is working, so I am working. This guy's committing blasphemy. He's claiming to be that Yahweh is his daddy. Blasphemy. Verse 18, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves his son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. (laughs) Marvel. We even have to borrow For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. 
Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not Marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So here's the catch. What we see here is the most dependent human being who has ever walked the face of the earth. He also happens to be the most powerful man who has ever walked the face of the earth. The God-man is the most dependent man who has ever walked. He did not do anything that he did not see his father doing. He did not say anything unless his father led him to say it. Now, if you put yourself in that circumstance, you probably would imagine that you wouldn't be very happy. Because that sounds like slavery. That sounds like bondage. Maybe to you. Was it bondage to Jesus? Anything but. To Jesus, this submissive life was a response, a response to his father's love for him. This was also the most secure human being that has ever walked the face of the earth. Interesting, is it not? That submission and security are wed in this person of Jesus. Most of us are often find ourselves, even this week, as I shared last week, we find ourselves fighting, working, scratching, climbing to get independence so we can be secure. Right? And yet, Jesus, most powerful human that ever walked the face of the earth, living in complete dependence and experiencing infinite love and intimacy. And his ability to be dependent is a response to knowing how loved he is by his father. 
So here's what I want to do. I want to run down a kind of a quick list. Not my idea. Another author did this in a commentary I read or an article that I read. And rather than just copying his points, I went to John 5 to look for my own. But I'm kind of following his idea. But here's what I want to do. I'm just going to run through this and show you some things. We're going to look at Jesus's relationship to his father and what he says in this passage. Number one, Jesus calls God his father. (laughs) My father is working and I am too. He identifies as God's child. He identifies as God's son. And yes, it is a claim to deity. And there's only one human being that can claim that. And that's Jesus. So that's the first thing. Jesus calls God his father. Jesus, second, number two, Jesus is dependent on his father. He can do nothing of his own accord, scripture says. He did nothing of his own accord. Nothing out of his own will simply. Nothing independent. Everything he did was not of his own accord, but aligned with his father's will. Number three, Jesus reflects his father. What his father does, he does. He reflects his father in action, in word, in attitude. He reflects his father. Number four, Jesus has access to his father. It says that Jesus, the father gave Jesus access to see all that the father was doing. Imagine that. What does that mean? I, I think what that means, and again, some of this is my own understanding, but to see means to know and understand, right? So I think when God the Father called Jesus or led Jesus to do particular things and say particular things, there was a sense in which Jesus, because of his intimate loving relationship with the Father, and the Father desired that disclosure The Father revealed information to Jesus which allowed Jesus to stay fixed and focused. Make sense? So Jesus calls God his Father. He's dependent on his Father. He reflects his Father. He has access, heart-to-heart access with his Father. And Jesus knows and trusts his Father's love. That's where security comes from. It doesn't come from fear. It doesn't come from control. It doesn't come from manipulation. It doesn't come from the lack of negative circumstances. It comes from knowing all the way through how loved you are, how accepted you are, how approved of you are, how forgiven you are. Do you know these things? Do you know that you can know these things? Jesus had faith in his father's love for me, for him. It's interesting because some of the writers were talking about whether or not Jesus needed faith because he was God. Did he really need faith? And when, you know, you look at some of the passages, there's that one in Hebrews, um, Hebrews 12 says this, Paul, or the author of Hebrews, some think that may be Paul. 
Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Do you know the word hour is not in the original manuscript? It was added later. Not that it shouldn't be there, because I think Jesus is the author and perfecter of my faith. God disciplines his sons. He disciplines his children. Why? To strengthen our faith. And where did it come from? It didn't come from me. God gave me the saving faith to believe. Gave me the ability to see the gospel, to see Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But what's interesting is in the original, there's not that word own or our. Looking to Jesus, the founder, that comes from a Greek word that means archetype. Right? Jesus is the archetype. And he calls us to follow him. He's the founder and the perfecter of faith. Jesus is the perfect example of a man fully believing in his father's love for him. He has faith in his father. That's why he was so able to be dependent on his father. Is this making sense? Is it sinking in? Amen. So Jesus calls God his father. He's dependent on his father. He reflects his father. He has access to the father. He knows and trusts his father's love. And he has faith in his father and what his father is doing. In that one verse in John 5, it says, greater things he will do. So Jesus was aware that greater things were coming. I'm not sure if he knew exactly what they were, but they hadn't happened yet. But he had every confidence that they would happen. Confidence in his father. Confidence in his father's plan. Confidence in his father's love. Confidence in his father's character. Confidence in his father's work. The father gives Jesus great responsibility, does he not? It says in this text, for the father loves the son and shows him all that he's doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. It's interesting. The work of the father is the same as the work of the son. The son's been given the authority to give life, to resurrect from the dead, and to judge. Great responsibility has been given this one who trusts and has faith in his father. And then there's this amazing harmony between the father and the son. There's no competition. Each enjoys glorying in the other. Intimate, tight relationship, harmonious relationship, love relationship, unity in this relationship. They do the same work. Christ reflects what he sees the father doing. He trusts in the Father's plan, the Father's instruction, and he functions out of that faith. 
And then lastly, Jesus lives for the Father's will, and that's down in verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So here's what's interesting about this quick list. Let me make another little jump here because what we see is this relationship between Jesus and his father is a picture then of the relationship Jesus then instills into his disciples. Real people contaminated by sin that with their sin natures fallen. Jesus chooses after a night of prayer with his father. He chooses 12 including Judas, part of the plan. Might not have been my plan, but it was the Father's plan. So Jesus includes the one who would betray him, leading him to the cross, trusting his Father's plan. Now what do we see? We see Jesus with his disciples. Let me run down this list again. Jesus calls God his Father. What does Jesus teach his disciples to do? Pray. How should we pray? Start like this, our Father. Followers of Christ, call God your Father. Call him Abba, Aramaic Aramaic for an affectionate term for Father, Daddy. Call God Daddy. Jesus teaching his followers to call Yahweh Daddy. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is dependent on his father. The disciples, dependent on Jesus. What do they say? To whom else should we go? You, Jesus, have the words of life. So Jesus leads them into a dependent relationship with himself. Jesus reflects his father. The disciples, they want to look like Jesus. They want to be like him. They want to be about his work. Number four, Jesus has access to the Father. What does Jesus do? Follow me. What does that mean? That means live with me. That means be with me for three years, nonstop. Go where I go, do what I do, share in my work, listen to my teachings, relate with me personally, intimately, break bread with me, do ministry with me. You see it? The Father invited Jesus into all of, to see all that his workings were about. What did Jesus do? He invited these men into his life. They truly were doing life together. Life on life discipleship is happening in this small group. Jesus knows and trusts his father's love. The disciples believed that Jesus loved them. Why else would all of them go to their deaths and not be willing to recant that Jesus was God and that Jesus was Savior and Lord? All of them were martyred. All of them took this great responsibility, the baton of the kingdom of God, used their gifts and abilities to advance and share and spread the gospel, and they all went to their deaths for their faith in who Jesus was. Why would they do that? They knew who he was, they knew he loved them, and they trusted in his plan beyond death beyond the difficulties and challenges of life. Jesus has faith in his father and what his father's doing. The disciples had faith in Jesus and what Jesus 
was doing. The father gives Jesus great responsibility. Jesus gives his disciples great responsibility. The father and the son, uh, there's harmony there. Certainly with us in Christ. Christ loves us. He desires unity. He desires harmony with us. Sometimes we stray, we run. We climb the wrong ladder, trying to replace our dependency on him with dependency on something else, technology, science, ourselves. My will, not yours, God, be done. And yet he forgives. And yet he says, come. Be honest. Be open. Bear your heart with me. Tell me where you hurt, where you fear, where you struggle, where you sin. Come to me. My yoke is easy. I'm the remedy for your brokenness. I'm the remedy for your sinful propensities. I am your all in all. Come. I've already paid the price. The Father's wrath has been poured out in full for all of your sin. Come to me. You're not coming to a God of wrath. You're coming to a God of love who is just who paid the infinite price for your sin, but who longs to receive you into intimate community and fellowship and to enable you to follow him down. So what, what three sources did Jesus have at his disposal for power? Let's just think about the godly quality of omnipotence for a minute. What are Jesus's three sources for power? Number one, he's deity, he's God. He has power in and of himself. He could choose to draw on that power. Number two, he has power from the Father. Deferred power, borrowed power, power given by the Father to Jesus to do. And then thirdly, power from the Holy Spirit. We know that all the three persons of the Godhead are powerful. And we see evidence of that throughout Scripture. So the question is, what did Jesus depend on when he walked? And did his ministry. And I would say it's this from scripture. And I'm going to use this word. Qualifying word. Predominantly. Predominantly. Because I'm not sure exactly. If Jesus ever drew on his own power. His own power. To do something. Like when they said. You know when he asked the posse coming in. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am. And they all fell to the ground. What is that? Was that Jesus's power being released? Was that God the Father's power being released through Jesus? What was that? Were they just, one commentator said, they were just all astonished that he was claiming to be God and they fell over. What is that? So I'm going to say predominantly this. Jesus depended predominantly in his earthly life which he calls us to model. Come follow me. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. He relied on resources that you and I this morning have at our disposal. The power of God, the Father, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Both of those he trusted in predominantly in his earthly life. And he says, follow me. So he's not saying, he's not Clark Kent saying, come be like me. I'm really Superman. Come be like me. Be a really good Clark Kent out in the world. No, 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 no. That's not what he's saying. 
He's saying, follow me as I have submitted myself and trusted and trusted myself to my father by his power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I do all these things. And it's interesting when you think in the Bible, you're going, wow, what are these miracles Jesus did? Oh, there's no way people could do those. And you start looking at this big picture and you're going, you look through the Old Testament, the New Testament, and human beings raised people from the dead. Human beings walked on water. Human beings prayed and made an axe head float on on water. An axe head float metal, heavy metal floating on the top of water. Human beings healed lepers. It's incurable. Paul's handkerchief healed people. What? They're not superhuman? No, they're not. But they're living submissively, dependently on the Son Son of God, on Jesus, who lived submissively and dependently upon the will of his Father. And through Christ, through Christ we live, right? So the power Jesus drew from is available to us. That's the power we have. To flip that ladder upside down and start coming down. Start divesting ourselves of our riches and our stuff and our intellect and our time and our energy and our effort. To make touch points to those that are the least of these. To visit our neighbor in love. To share our stuff. Shared with my girls a long time ago. I want, to, I want to plant a church and I want to call it the SOS Church. Share our stuff. Orangewood, we have a lot of stuff. Barry family, Barry daughters, we have a lot of stuff. Let's come under the full authority of God and say, Lord, our stuff's your stuff, really. Every stuff I have is yours. My next heartbeat, brainwave, eye blink, it's all of you. Here's my stuff. Show me how to show me. Show me how to share it. You with me? How dependent do I need to be this morning? I got nothing to give you. I got nothing to give you. But in Christ John 5 is exploding in my mind. Amen. (laughs) Exploding in yours too, and you're little. The kingdom of God is within me, God says. What does that mean? I think I'm done. I want to read a prayer by Andrew Murray. If I can find it. Actually, I'm going to read two paragraphs, these two right here, and then a prayer, and we'll be done. Here we go. Blessed dependence. It is indeed the disposition which becomes us towards such a God. It gives him the glory which belongs to him as God. It keeps the soul in peace and rest, and it allows God to care for all. It keeps the mind quiet and prepared to receive and use the Father's teachings. 
and it is so gloriously rewarded in the deeper experience of holy intercourse and the continued ever-advancing discoveries of his will and work with which the Father crowns it, blessed dependence, in which the Son lived on earth, thou art the desire of my soul. Will that be your desire this morning? Then he goes on, blessed dependence, It was because Jesus knew that he was a son that he thus loved to be dependent on the Father. Of all the teaching in regard to the likeness of Christ, this is the center and sum. I must live as a son within my Father. If I stand clear in this relationship as a son realizing that the Father is everything to me, a son-like life, living through the Father, living for the Father, will be its natural and spontaneous outcome. Does that sound inviting? Are you thirsty for that? Blessed dependence. Pray with me, church. Oh, Father, the longer I fix my gaze upon the image of the sun, the more I discover the fearful ruin of my nature and how far sin has estranged me from you. To be dependent upon you, there can be no higher blessedness than this. To trust in all things in a God such as you are, so wise and good, so rich and powerful. And lo, it has become the most difficult thing there can be. We would rather be dependent on our own folly than the God of all glory. Even thine own children, O most blessed Father, often think it so hard to give up their own thoughts and will and to believe that absolute dependence on God to the very least things is alone true blessedness. Lord, I come to thee with this humble prayer. Teach me this. He who purchased with his own blood for me the everlasting blessedness hath shown me in his own life wherein the blessedness consists. And I know he will now lead and keep me in it. Oh, my Father, in thy Son I yield myself to thee to be made like him. Like him. Like him. Father, come, have your way with us. Have your way with this church. Oh, blessed dependence, teach us. Take us deeper into your heart. Teach us to find the joy in submitting to your glorious and perfect and powerful will. Have your way with us, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.